0: For free at LuckyLandSlots.com Daily bonuses are waiting No purchase necessary Void were prohibited by law 18 plus Terms and conditions apply See website for details Wise men follow him They roam again Wise men follow him Good morning, Northern Maine. Welcome to the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, the conscience of Maine. Broadcast today in Maine on WXME, 780 AM in Monticello, WBCQ, 94.7 in Monticello, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook and Orono, 96.5 FM in Brewer, Bangor, Maine. Today is Friday, February 20th, 2015. The uh, weather. Today, a chance of snow showers, mostly before 10 a.m. A little later, in my opinion, further north. You get look at the radar, and there's a number of little snow showers coming through. It's a regular winter wonderland. We had about six or eight inches of powder snow down here, on the, down here in the frost pocket beside the brook. And uh, a lot of wrecks yesterday because of blowing snow. There was a, a truck slowing down to pull into a driveway and rather than wait uh, until the truck pulled in, a uh, young fellow pulled out and went around the truck and there was somebody coming the other way and they couldn't see and they come together right head on. It was a bad crash. Don't know the ultimate results but destroyed a couple of vehicles and pieces and parts all over the place. I just uh, I don't have a, a final report on it but it was a bad crash. Can't see. Don't pull out. It'll it'll clear. Just give it thirty seconds, and that gust will die down. You'll be able to see something. So we got a chance of snow showers mainly before 10 a.m. Uh, wind chills as low as minus six. West wind around 15 miles an hour. Chance of precipitation is 30%. Tonight mostly clear. Low around eight below. Wind chills down to 21 below. It's the coldest February in in a century or more. It could set a rec- record for cold. Uh, Rockland Harbor is frozen solid. Ice, sea ice, four inches thick. Nobody's going fishing. Boats aren't going out. I guess the ferry's working, but uh, the the tackle is the Coast Guard icebreaker. And, you know, when you first get into the ice on an icebreaker it's it's kinda it's fun. You know, just watch the ice break up and push aside and crash around and but after hours and hours and in my case days and days of driving along with an icebreaker, banging and crashing constantly, uh, they, uh it gets old. I went to the Antarctic on the east wind, Coast Guard Cutter, back in sixty three. Makes me, makes me feel old that 52 years ago I went down to the Antarctic on the icebreaker. Flying helicopters around down there. What I used to do for a living. Saturday, increasing clouds with a high near 19. Wind chills as low as 21. South wind around 7 miles an hour. Now that's a fair wind, warm wind direction. And you're going to have wind chills of 21 below tomorrow. Saturday night, Low around 15, wind around 7 miles an hour, and we're going to get a little snow, about 3 to 5 inches, you know, no big deal, just a little clean snow to cover up all the old dirty snow. Sunday, rain and snow likely before before 3 p.m., now, if we get a little wet snow on top of all this powder, that'll actually be a good thing, it'll reduce the amount of snow that blows around. And here we are, middle uh, you know two-thirds of the way through February, and you should expect to see a little little sunshine and, and the snow wet up just a little bit and reduce the blowing. But right now we've got powder right to the bottom. I hope we don't get rain uh, at this point, because all that will do is produce a crust and make it more difficult for the deer to get around. The deer are having a hard winter. It's cold. Maine has the biggest white-tailed deer in in this country. And you go down to Pennsylvania and Virginia and places like that, they've got tiny little deer. Well, the reason for that is that the deer in Maine have to reach a live weight of 75 pounds the first winter, uh, or they won't survive the winter. They just don't have the body mass and the ability to take on enough feed and they will die. Good thing for the coyotes, bad thing for the deer but uh and that's just the way it is. So if a deer doesn't reach seventy five pounds their first year, they'll never get to reproduce so genetically, only the biggest deer get to reproduce, and that's why our deer are bigger than the deer and. In Massachusetts, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, all the way down to Virginia, North Carolina, the white-tailed deer down there are tiny. You get big deer down there occasionally that uh, that survive and they feed off the, the farmers' crops. It's easy living down there for them, and they do get some big ones. But and they get big racks on little deer. You know, you get a 115-pound buck, and it's got it'll get, it could be a 10-pointer down there. So fine size scrappers. Lightweights. Sunday night, uh mostly cloudy, low around eight above. And you know, Saturday we got a wind chill twenty one below. Well that doesn't mean much because it's gonna be a high near nineteen. And precipitation doesn't depend on wind chill. Precipitation depends on the actual air temperature and amount of how fast that air is moving. Pilots well, know this. Monday, uh, mostly sunny, high near 16, wind 9 to 15 miles an hour. It's been a windy, windy winter, and and it shows because uh, when it's windy, and the chill factor goes down. Uh, you know, when we're walking around outdoors, we've got a layer of warm air on our face and on our neck and our wrists, those parts of our body that get getting exposed. And we've got a, a layer of warm air that travels with us. But when it's windy, that warm air gets blown off of us, and it chills the body. It's the same with your house. A house on a quiet night has got a layer of warm air, and it's rising up the outside of the house. And you can you can take pictures of this with infrared cameras, and you can look at the house. Yeah, but when it's windy, it blows that warm air layer off the outside of the house, and and it uh, it chills the house. It takes more energy to heat the house when it's windy than it does uh, when it's calm. That's a fact. It could be 19 outdoors. But with the wind, it's more difficult to eat the house when it's calm at 19. There's some validity to the chill factor. But you can set a container of, of uh, antifreeze out there and put a thermometer in it. And, and you'll measure the temperature. and the, the temperature of the antifreeze is going to be the same as the air temperature no matter how hard the wind blows. So if it's 19 out there, you put a thermometer in the antifreeze it's going to be 19, no matter how hard the wind blows. So that's a little, little physics lesson there, early in the northern mainland, man. Show the gas price is two dollars and fifteen cents in Portland. That's up ten cents from last week. Gas price is two forty nine in Santa Gap. That's thirty four cents higher. Well, up in the county, it's always a little higher anyway because. You know, it costs money to haul it up there for you. So, uh, but we're going to see uh, the the prices rising. The the price of crude oil uh, goes down when there's an excess of crude oil. And one of the reasons is demurrage. Now, demurrage is what it costs to rent the ship to haul crude oil. Now, if you've got a company like Exxon who has, owns the tanker, they'll fill the tanker from their source, and they'll haul it to a destination, and they know what it costs. They know what it costs to operate the ship. But if you've got a commercial tanker, and a company owns the tanker, and their business is hauling freight, in this case crude oil, and they'll haul it. And sometimes they'll fill the tank over in the Gulf of in, from Saudi Arabia, for example, they fill the tanker and they head out through the Gulf of Hormuz and go south into the into the uh, into the Indian Ocean, if you will. And they're going to go somewhere. They're going to hang a left and they're going to head toward Japan or Vietnam or Indonesia, someplace. Or they're going to go down around the Cape of Good Hope and up up in the Atlantic to somewhere in South America or somewhere in North America. Or they're going to go uh, through the Suez Canal and into the Med and service uh, Europe with oil, because Europe doesn't have any oil. They don't have to buy it. So the destination of that tanker may change two or three times the destination of other uh, ships that ha- carry commodities will change sometimes you'll have a ship loaded with bauxite now bauxite is a is a whitish powder that's mined and that's the raw material for for aluminum bauxite is essentially aluminum oxide to make aluminum you you heat it up and hit it with electricity a whole lot of electricity and you break down into. Uh, essentially clay and and aluminum that's how they make it it takes a lot of electrical energy to make aluminum that's why there's a bunch of aluminum uh, processing plants up along the St. Lawrence River because they've got a lot of hydropower and hydropower is the cheapest electricity you can have I mean it works from gravity water flowing downhill will power a lot of things Powered our country for the first couple of hundred years until we started making steam. So all these commodities uh, get sold sometimes while the ship is in transit. Red China uh, wanted to buy some some plaster uh, of Paris, if you will. It's the raw material that goes into sheetrock. And they were building. They a building boom in China a few years ago, and they wanted to buy the cargo in two ships to bring it into its bauxite. And they wanted to bring it in uh, into Red China, you know, because they needed it needed to make sheetrock. And the shipping company said, "No, no, we we're committed. We're going to del- make our delivery of this, and you, you can buy the next load." Red China said, "Heck with you!" And they bought the ships. Actually, bought the two ships loaded with with uh, bauxite and headed into turned the ships around and flew and sailed into Red China. This was during their building boom about four or five years ago. This actually happened. They bought the ships and they started using these ships to haul their own uh, raw materials and. Uh, Bruce Springsteen sings a song about uh, Youngstown, Ohio. One of my favorite Bruce Sing- Springsteen's songs. And uh, he started, the song starts out uh, that uh, James and Daniel Wheaton found the ore in Yellow Creek in Youngstown, Ohio. And they built a blast furnace. And uh, there along the shore... There they made the cannonballs they used in the Civil War. Taconite, Taconite, coke, and limestone. Taconite is iron ore. Coke is is fuel, is coal, and limestone. And you heat it all up, and what comes out the bottom is pig iron and slag. I've been in a in a continuous blast furnace in Pennsylvania. It's it's in antique. It was how they made a, one of the continuous uh, blast furnaces, and they'd fire it up uh, in January, and it was fueled with wood, charcoal, and limestone and taconite or iron ore. And they had a really rich iron ore in Pennsylvania. When they did this. Uh, they would run it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And they'd run it until the end of November, and they would shut it down because they had to realign it. They had to shut it down and actually rebuild the blast furnace because of wear and tear. And uh, the people that lived around there had to feed that with with uh, limestone. They'd dump in a few barrels full of limestone and a few wheelbarrows full of fuel and a few wheelbarrows full of of iron ore and they kept repeating it in layers and it would settle down out through the bottom of the blast furnace and they hauled the slag off in slag heaps and they they would run the pig iron out into into uh into troughs and the iron, liquid iron would cool into into uh Pigs of iron—that's what they call it, pig iron—and I've been there, and I've been in there, and understand it. I took metallurgy in college, and and uh, it's fun to know some of this stuff. And I hope it entertains the listeners. But uh, we got a problem in the world, and well, before I off into that topic. One 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 thing here, uh, before I leave the weather entirely, global warmists are having a bad time this winter because the, the globe is cooling. It isn't warming. And probably Al Gore, take credit for the world cooling off because he blew the whistle just in time to prevent it from boiling away. Earth has a fever, you would say. Well, we're just going into a, into a cycle again, like we always do. You know, back in the early 70s, we had a we had a cycle that was quite quite cold, and, and then we had a we had one back in the 60s. We had a real back in 62, 63. We had some hard winters, and I remember them. I remember the hard winter we had back in 46, 47, and they had to open up the the streets with bulldozers because no truck would push it. And they actually, when after the bulldozer went by, they had to get out there with picks and shovels to break up the packed snow that the bulldozer had made because the trucks couldn't move that either. But they did get the streets opened up. And the sun has entered its weakest solar cycle in a century. Global warming and global cooling are both caused by the sun and the sun varies in its in its output and, you know that's just the good way the good lord made it i guess and the sun just varies in its output we're just right we're just the right distance from the sun that we don't boil off all the water on our planet and and, uh, and it doesn't freeze very much But sometimes it gets cold and stays cold for a while. And what happens is that the ice and snow don't melt in the summertime. And it accumulates. And it builds up. We know that the Earth has had times when there were glaciers covering the North and the South Hemisphere quite a ways from the poles. And Maine was covered by an ice sheet several times, and the most recent time was only 12,000 years ago. And we know that the native peoples followed the edge of the ice pack between Europe and North America and between Asia and North America. And they hunted seals. Seals followed the edge of the ice pack. They'd get up there and sun themselves, and they'd feed on the, on the cod and, you know, and then the ice sheet retreated. But main ships, main trawlers and draggers, uh, not trawlers really, unless once in a while maybe, but draggers would pick up mastodon skulls and woolly mammoth skulls off the bottom of the Atlantic and bones and pelvises, various prehistoric animals that are sitting on the bottom and they'd, they'd pick them up. And you know, it makes the paper when it happens. But this happens. I mean, it, the world goes through numerous cycles and when the when the uh most one of the most recent ice sheets, twelve thousand years ago, when that ice sheet retreated and the sun went into one of its warmer cycles and it thawed all the ice. It didn't happen overnight. But what happened is the oceans were down, and the Nile River and the various rivers that run into the Mediterranean Sea flowed out between what is now Spain and North Africa. And there was a great waterfall because the level of the Mediterranean was so low that there was a great cataract with fresh water running out of the Mediterranean Sea into the Atlantic. And the Mastodons and woolly mammoths were walking around in what is now 250, 300 feet of water on the east coast of of Maine in the United States. And there were people here then, following the edge of the ice sheet as it retreated north. And the red paint people in Maine were, you know, a people. We don't know much about these people, but we know from their artifacts that that they uh that they really liked red paint. It was a part of their of their uh, culture. And they they made red paint and painted themselves, painted all their stuff. And they just really liked barn red, I guess. But we don't really know a lot about those people. But we know they were here you know, this was certainly wasn't done by animals, so there were people here twelve thousand years ago and they found they found uh a human human remains in Oregon that are older than that so the people been around a long time, and they covered a lot more ground than we give them credit for. And they were smarter than we give them credit for. You know, they used to make jokes about cavemen and being stupid. You can't be stupid and make it in the world. Especially when you're easy prey and good eating for the, for the saber-toothed tigers and things like that that were here. The saber-toothed tiger was a pretty ferocious mammal. So... The global warmists are, are starting to retract, and they're trying to figure up some story to claim that they that the reason that we, that uh, you know, the world is cooling off is that so many people are riding around in Priuses, I guess, or something like that. So Italy is real nervous. 'Cause ISIS has said we are gonna march all the way up to Rome. we are gonna come across from Libya into Italy and we're gonna march up to Rome. And it's making the Italians nervous. They don't have a, a big military force. And ever since World War Two, you know, they haven't they haven't had a very active military. They're mostly a ceremonial type of thing and we have some a couple of military bases in Italy, one Navy and one uh, Air Force base. And we've got bases in Barcelona and northern Spain, various places in Europe. But you know, we pay them a lot of money to put our people there to protect them. And we don't have a lot of money in our country. We've been printing it so fast, and the value of, the true value of our money is going down. And we've got a lot of indicators about this. And I'm looking at a graph here. It's the unemployment rate in our country. Went to a political meeting last night down in Orono. The Penobscot County Republican Committee met last night. And they were supposed to have elected a state committee man, a state committee woman to serve on the state committee, state committee member at large, and a member of the platform committee who will write the platform next time. Now, the platform should not change uh, dramatically from year to year or from legislature to legislature. The principles remain the same, but there are certain priorities and certain agendas that need to be accomplished. So the platform committee writes the platform. A whole bunch of people sign off on it and this is the platform that we allow our candidates to run on. If we have a candidate that that actually opposes our platform, that person should not be a candidate. We should put up a primary candidate that does support the platform. But that's not always the way it works because once they get dug in and entrenched, they don't they realize they don't have to keep their promises. You know, Susan Collins swore that she was going to serve two terms in the Senate and maximum, and she'd be done. She'd be all done. Well, I went by the wayside. Now she's in her fourth term, working against us. So I'm looking at a chart here. It's the unemployment rate in our nation. The unemployment rate in 2007. Now this is the true unemployment rate. It's not just the people that go down to the job uh, mm-hmm. job center and sign up that they're seeking a job. Okay, this is the true unemployment. People that are self-employed and aren't working, they'd like to be self-employed, but they can't find work. And people don't file income. I mean, they if they show zero income or or next to nothing for a year. And a lot of people are in that in that situation. So we've got the true unemployment in 2007 was 11%. By 2010, it was up to 24%. And it's ranging between 22 and 24%. Now, 2014, it's rising at the at this moment. And the official unemployment rate is about 5%. It dipped down to 49 back up again. But these are people that are recently unemployed and actively seeking to become reemployed. That's what that number is. It has nothing to do with the actual number of people that are not working. We've got a lot of discouraged people who have stopped looking. You can file after two or three years of filing you know, application after application, and they go into a stack, and you know, a company will say, we need we need some welders, and they'll get 400 welders apply for the job. So the company has to sort down through that, and a lot of these are good people, experienced welders, certified welders, and they're looking for somebody that's to work full-time. And you know it's it's difficult to to make that choice. I've got a neighbor who went just went back to work uh a couple of months ago. He's a trucker long haul trucker He's seventy eight years old He's back on the road because he can pass a drug test and the d o t comes up <coughs> excuse me stops in a a truck stop and you make a random check and you pee in the bottle, and they check you for for drugs. And if you fail, you hand them the keys. You're done. They're going to find somebody else to drive that truck. His license is suspended until he can serve out his time and and pass a drug test. There's a lot of trucking companies that can't find drivers that can pass a drug test. I mean, they do their own tests. When you file an application, they say, gee, you know, Sam, we'd like to hire you. Go pee in the bottle, and he fails the drug test. These are choices that these people make. And truckers have to have you know much lower alcohol content in their blood than the average bear. You know, if you get stopped for a motor vehicle violation and they do a drug test for you for alcohol, and you could be at .06 or .07, and you're not breaking the law. .08 is the limit. I don't know if .08 is breaking the law, but .09 is breaking the law. You're driving under the influence. And your insurance rate is going to go way up for the next few years. Don't do that. In Sweden, Sweden's like the Araka V. It's the national drink. Sort of like... Allen's Coffee Brandy in Maine, you know. Most of the Allens get sold in Maine. It's just a a Maine thing. In Sweden, if you get arrested for drunk driving, you lose your license. You don't get it back. If you drive drunk in Sweden, you lose your license, and you're done driving. might as well sell your vehicle, because you are not going to drive again in, in Sweden. That's the way it is. Not a bad idea, I was an e m t for a lot of years, and I have no patience with drunks. You choose to drive drunk and hurt somebody, you should lose your license and not get it back. That's my opinion. It's not the way the legislature sees it because they all kind of wink and nod and elbow at each other, and you know geez, you know that could happen to anybody. Well, no, it can't happen to anybody. It happens only to drunks. So, looking at the unemployment rates, and we've got a true unemployment rate of about 22% in our nation right now, December, actually, last year. Don't have up-to-date information on 2015, but it's about 21, 22%. But there are 92 million Americans of working age that are not working. 92 million. That's about 30% of our population. Our population is 330 million, approximately. And some of those are kids, and some of those are, are, you know, more than 68 years old. And, you know what they're not counted in is people that ought to be working. some kids do some older people do. I work every day. I work seven days a week part time at least you know Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening I'm working Sunday morning. I hope to be in church but that's that's a that's a lot of people not working if those people are not working, they're not paying taxes. And our government has obligations that they have to meet, you know. And we're not meeting those obligations. So the Federal Reserve is printing money out of nothing. In the last seven years, they printed $7 trillion out of nothing. Well, that has a huge effect on the value of our currency. But the whole world is declining now. There is a there's something called the Baltic Dry Index. It's, it's one of the things that I look at as an amateur economist. I'm an amateur economist because nobody pays me to be to be an economist. The economists are people who get paid to do that. And amateur economists are people that do that and don't get paid because they're just kind of interested in economics. Looking back to nineteen sixty eight and redefined print here. Eighty eight. Eighty seven. Back in eighty seven we had a recession. And the Baltic dry index went down to a value of about six hundred. Now back in in two thousand and nine, two thousand and eight, before the recession, the Baltic Dry Index was 8,000, 8, ships, actually 9,000. And the Baltic Dry Index has dropped from 9,000 to about 550. It's the lowest the Baltic Dry Index has ever been. Now, what is the Baltic Dry Index? The Baltic Dry Index is, is ships that are idle with no cargo. Why is there no cargo? Because there's no demand for cargo. We've got 92 million people not working in our country, and we've got unemployment up all over Europe, and these people aren't spending money. I mean, they're getting some sort of government aid, unemployment, helping to feed the family, maybe making a mortgage payment or paying the rent or something, but these people aren't out there buying toys. And they're not out there buying sheetrock. And they're not out there buying lumber. They're not buying Lots of commodities they're not buying because they don't have the money. Our economy is, is declining. And from 2008 to 2015, seven years... The number of ships that are being used to haul freight, whether it's liquid or bulk or cargo in containers, oh, container full of kept pocket calculators or whatever. The demand for products in general is way down. Radio Shack failed. Target stores are closing up. Kmart's are closing up. Sears are closing up. Uh, one of the great big department store chains in Canada, I think Target closed all of their stores in Canada because they can't make money. It's not just the United States. Canada is is uh, closing down. I'm in the real estate business. Real estate business is slow. But the price of houses is, is average price of a house sold is rising. Well, that doesn't mean that the value of homes is rising. What it means is that people who can afford to buy homes are buying the better homes. And you look at the average, say, "Wow, the price of houses is going up. That price of a given house is actually going down. Houses are not increasing in value. Unless you really put a lot of money and in work into fixing it up and you know, that house will go up in value because your time and labor has value. A lot of people are selling their homes and a lot of people can't make the payments and they call the bank and say, Look, I'm sorry, I can't make the payment and the bank will say, Well, you know, we're gonna have to foreclose Billy and Susie, but uh you know, we're not going to we're not going to evict you. Oh boy, thank you. You know, they're staying in the house. The bank owns the house. Billy and Susie are paying the taxes, and they're paying to the heat the house, and they're paying the light bill, but they're not making the mortgage payment. The bank owns the house, but because Billy and Susie are in the house, the bank is still carrying that on the books as the performing asset. The bank says, "Yep, we've got income that's going to come in on this property, and it's a performing asset." Then they're starting to bundle these mortgages and sell them, sell these mortgages to gullible investors because it's on the books for 125,000 or 225,000 or whatever the house is worth. And The house isn't worth that much. And we're going to have a housing implosion again. But it's not just housing. All kinds of assets. Red China, in the month of January, took and dismantled eight ships. You see Costco uh, trailers on the road. Going down the interstate, you see Costco on the 10-foot-high letters going back on the truck. C-O-S-C-O. At China Overseas Shipping Corporation. And it's actually the Red Army. The Red Army owns the transportation infrastructure in Red China. They control it. It's sort of like our medical uh, plan in our country. Under Obamacare, guess who runs the medical system? The IRS. They gave the medical industry in our country the IRS don't want to wander off the track onto that subject because we've but Billy and Susie who can't make the house payment all of a sudden they're not going to get any income tax back because they didn't buy the Obamacare policy so the IRS is going to keep their their Tax return Billy Billy was working for the first six or eight months of the year and he got laid off at the sawmill or whatever he was doing and Susie uh, got pregnant had the baby and 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 she not able to work at whatever she was doing and neither one of them was working and they were paying taxes up until August and now they they're not paying taxes and they expect to get a tax refund because the They didn't make as much money as they were being taxed for back in the beginning, but they're not going to get a tax refund. The IRS is going to keep it because they didn't buy the Obamacare policy. Well, you get Billy or Susie, or you get the fellow who owns the logging truck. He hauls wood. He gets up 3 o'clock in the morning, goes out and starts the truck, lets it warm up a little while, has a cup of coffee, has bacon and eggs in the house or oatmeal or whatever he has for breakfast and climbs in the truck and drives out in the woods and gets his truck loaded and heads down to IP at J. And unloads down there and he might make two trips a day out of the north country, sometimes only one, depending on the weather. He's making payments on his trailer. He's making payments on the truck and Obama says he's going to buy medical insurance. Well, his family happens to be healthy. Kids get a cold or something. He has to go, go buy some DayQuil or something and treat the cold. But he's he's not doesn't have any large medical expenses, and his family is generally healthy. And if he's going to buy Obamacare, he's going to pay $8,500 a year for his family. He can't afford it. He's not going to get his income tax refund back. He files it, but then they hold it because he didn't buy Obamacare. It's a tax, and it's run by the IRS. And come April, when they fill this out, if a guy fills it out himself, he's going to get a real, usually the the guy that drives a logger truck doesn't fill it out. His wife fills it out, and they, they both signed it. And she, when they get when they read this thing, they find out they're not going to get a tax return because they didn't buy Obamacare. Mister man, there's going to be an earthquake in our country. There's going to be a lot of outraged people. But beyond the outrage, the banks are in big, big trouble, and they're going to be forced to do something called mark-to-market. They're going to be forced to take a look at these so-called assets that they hold and the mortgages that they hold. And in 2008, we had a housing crisis and a recession. The one that's coming this time is way beyond the housing crisis. And the banks, that they said, were too big to fail and they printed trillions of dollars and spread it around like monopoly money. You're not going to be able to do that this time. We are going to be in for a significant adjustment. That's the polite way of saying it. Charlie MacArthur wrote a book. He's a Mainer, and he wrote a book about a family who uh, had left the city. They were in the suburbs, and they left and they moved west in Pennsylvania to get away from the the chaos that was occurring in the cities. What's coming is fearsome, and they're talking about it. I have a book that is written by Jim Richards called The Death of Money, and I just ordered another book yesterday, same author, Jim Richards, and it's about what's coming. We can't stop it. What's going to happen is payback for the offenses that have been committed against our nation by the Federal Reserve Bank. And we gave up our sovereignty financially to the Federal Reserve. Back in 64, John F. Kennedy took a look at the system as it existed. He said, "Well, this isn't right, you know u s treasury should be printing u s treasury notes, not give we shouldn't let this private bank rule our country. Look what happened to John F. Kennedy, and guess what happened after that? Lyndon Johnson got on the airplane out of Dallas and headed back to washington d c And they sat Lyndon down and told him the way things were, and the first executive order that Lyndon Johnson wrote was stop printing U.S. Treasury notes. You can buy these U.S. Treasury notes that were were printed by the Treasury when John F. Kennedy was president. They're collector's items. It's folding money. It says U.S. Treasury note. It's got the signature of the treasurer of the United States on it. And you can buy these. They're collector's items. But that came to a, an abrupt end. You can speculate as to as to why John F. Kennedy got shot, but that's the biggest potential reason right there is that they got this clown that shot him and uh and then they wiped him out. Jack Ruby was dying of cancer. they got him to to shoot Oswald and and uh, there's a book, there's a movie called JFK. And that thing is about as close to the truth as, as, as you can get. You ought to get it. You can get it on DVD, it doesn't cost much. You can get it on Netflix or something. And just on a snowy winter weekend, just sit down and watch that JFK. It's quite a interesting speculation as to, as to how this all came about. We've got uh, another chart in addition to unemployment called Money Supply Velocity. It's the speed of money through the economy. The economy works on cash flow. When you spend money, somebody else gets it, they spend it, and, you know, you go to the hardware store and you buy something, the guy in the hardware store spends it, gets a haircut. The barber, you know, Goes to the grocery store and, and buys some meat, and the guy that runs the grocery store uh, goes to the hardware store and buys something. And the money within, within the community flows. And, and much of the money stays in the community. We've got a problem in Maine right now with uh, people bought a whole lot of pellet stoves and pellet furnaces, and we don't have enough pellets. So these people are having to go out and find alternate sources of heat. Walmart's got pellets, but they'll only let you buy a few bags. You can't go in there and buy, buy 20 bags of pellets because they're, what they're trying to do is spread it around. We've got a big pellet shortage, and people just didn't think ahead and, and realize that, gee, it gets cold in Maine, you know. So if you've got pellets... If you got your pellets ahead and you bought them ahead and you bought them in the fall, you're in good shape. But if you have been buying nickel diamond yourself and buying six or eight bags of pellets at a time once a week or something, well, guess what? You're not going to make it. So, uh, the velocity of money is the speed of money as it travels through the system. I just mentioned a small town where people spend money and and uh, it travels around in town, and everybody makes a little bit of of profit on the money. The barber, you know, he he got enough money to pay his taxes and buy his supplies, and and uh, buy the shaving cream, uses to shave your neck, and uh, heat the place, and feed his family. And that's, but people aren't getting haircuts as often. You can tell. <laughs> People look a little shaggy, you know, including me. I, You know, I don't get a haircut as often as I used to, but I don't have as much hair as I used to either. But the velocity of money in our nation is declining. Now, the velocity of money through the economy was 2.4 in 2007. It dropped from 2.4 in 2007 to 1.5 in 2008. That means people weren't spending money. They didn't have the money. And then they had an uptick. It went from 1.5 up to 1.6. But then it went down to 1.3. Then it went down to 1.1 by 2011. 2012, we had a slight uptick, but 2013 is back down to 1.1. 2014, by December, it was down to 1.0. Money is not being spent in our country. And this velocity of money is something that economists study in great detail, and you don't see it on Fox News. You don't see it on NBC, ABC, or CBS. But you see it on Bloomberg. And some of the, some of the financial uh, uh, programs, and you see it sometimes on Fox Business. You'll see the mention. They just kind of mention it in passing, and if you're tuned into it, then you hear it, and you think to yourself, "Oh, that's not good." But the average citizen may have probably I would venture to guess that the average citizen has never seen a chart showing the velocity of money. Velocity of money is cash flow. Cash flow is down. People are not spending money. Now, the price of petroleum is down because the demand is down. People are not traveling as much. And the average family in the state of Maine is going to spend twenty five hundred dollars less to heat their home this winter than they did in recent winters because the price of home heating oil is down, and the price of gas is down. This doesn't mean' you're going to, the average person is going to take off on a trip it just means that they're going to have they're going to spend a thousand dollars less this year to fuel their their family vehicle than they did last year. Well between the twenty five hundred dollars for heating oil and the thousand dollars for gasoline that's thirty five hundred dollars that that family is gonna have that they they're either not going to get a debt or they're they've got they've got it in their in their bank account but they're not spending it The thirty five hundred dollars that the average family is saving on energy isn't being spent on new purchases. They're paying down the debt or they're just simply sitting on it because people tend to have a feeling right now that what's coming isn't going to be good. Now, we've got strife building worldwide. And it's Europe and it's Asia and it's Africa. And the butchery that's occurring in the Middle East is horrendous. I mean, these ISIS people, Muslim savages, is is the best term to used to describe them because they they've been turned loose. You know, authorities, responsible nations, and responsible people have been able to keep the lid on. And minimize the savagery that they express as part of their culture. They they weren't able to get away with it. And had a guy, I mean, a guy named Saddam Hussein was you know, was pretty brutal to his people, but that's how he kept the lid on. And he's a bad guy, no question. But that's how he kept the lid on. He intimidated them. Well, that's gone, and we pulled out, and they're not intimidated anymore. And they're lining people up, Christians mostly, and all the people they disagree with, but they're lining people up, and they're beheading them on, taking video, very very stylish and well-produced videos showing them beheading people. They beheaded 21 Christians on the shore of the Mediterranean, and and the water actually ran red as these Christians bled out. Bad way to go. And they put a, a Jordanian pilot in a cage and, and lit him on fire, and he burned to death. And no place to go. This cage is six foot wide, six foot long, and six foot high. He can't get out, and they set him on fire, and he died. It took him 20 minutes before he actually stopped moving. The bad thing, they built a lot more cages and they took 45 Kurds, put them in these cages this week, and they burned them all, one at a time. So you get to watch your buddy burn alive, and just watch your turn. They drive derived a great deal of satisfaction and entertainment out of this, these Muslims. I mentioned two weeks ago about the Muslim fella who had two wives in Auburn Lewiston area, lived on Bartlett Street down there in Lewiston. He had three wives in Minneapolis. And he was commuting between Lewiston and Minneapolis, and these wives have a lot of kids. And they're all being supported by us, the main taxpayers, and the American taxpayers, supporting all these people. And this guy Went to Syria, get on a jet and fly to Turkey, commute into Syria, and fight with ISIS. The guy lives on Bartlett Street in Lewiston. Okay, got this picture. And in order to get a permit to drive a taxi at the Portland Jetport, the Portland, the Portland City Council has decided that you have to be a Muslim to drive a taxi at the Portland Jetport. Out of 45 permits, 44 are Somalis and one is Iranian. You can't make this stuff up. This is happening in our country. Well, guess what? The guy that lived on Bartlett Street in Lewiston is dead. He got killed in Syria. But we're still supporting the wives and the kids with our tax dollars. We're going in debt to do it. And that's the way it is in Maine today. Next week, I'm going to talk about the environmental industry and how a club of billionaires and their foundations control the environmental movement and they control Obama's Environmental Protection Agency. they're the people that want to take over northern Maine. We knew this in 1980, which is 35 years ago. 1980. They set the goals up. But that's not where it began. It didn't begin there. It began when the travelers went to Russia and learned how the communist system works in 1925. And then 1947 was the Bar Harbor fire. 1947, the billionaires and millionaires that had their cottages on Mount Desert Island had to burn flat. I mean, the Bar Harbor fire was a big fire, and they all had cedar shingles on their cottages on the walls and the roofs both, and they burned. They called them cottages, they were mansions that had cedar shingles on the outside because they liked the look of them and they decided how they wanted Bar Harbor to be and they donated large amounts of land to Acadia National Park but kept their their own personal area which is either surrounded by or, or has the park on three sides so they're not going to have any riffrapp for neighbors they decided how how it was going to be on Bar Harbor Mount the Island. But they also decided how they wanted Maine to be in 100 years. In 100 years, they wanted to be no paper company land, in the state of Maine. They wanted it to be a park. So the Germans can come over here and ride it all the way across Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, and New York State and through the Adirondacks on the way to Niagara Falls in their air-conditioned Mercedes-Benz buses. This is what they want for us. They want us gone. It's called rural cleansing. Rural cleansing is just like the ethnic cleansing that's occurring around the world, which is lower body count. They don't want you here. They don't want me here. They want us gone. They want our economy gone. And they're making good progress at it. Because it didn't take 100 years till 2047 for there to be no paper company land in the state of Maine. It's gone. The last holdout was Fraser, and they nearly went broke holding on to it. There is no paper company land in the state of Maine. We're going to cover this in detail next week. In the meantime, hunker down. Build up your supplies of of basic essentials. Buy tools. Buy durable goods. And uh, and go to church. Pray with your neighbors. Pray with your friends and family. Because what's coming not good and those of us that survive will, want, will be the leaders of the America that's going to emerge from this think about it it's a scary thought it's supposed to be scary four horsemen are coming and death cometh on a white horse this has been the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, Conscience of Maine. Broadcast in Maine today on WXME, 780 a.m. in Monticello, WBCQ, 94.7 in Monticello, and all the way down to Danforth. 1700 a.m. in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook and Orono, 96.5 FM in Brewer, Bangor, Maine. Today's Friday, february twentieth, twenty fifteen. Be safe out there. Don't drive in blowing snow at high speed. It's not worth it. Be safe. God bless. Wise men follow him. They rose again. Wise men follow him. Thank God. plus.